You are listening to the Healing Migraines Naturally podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Caesar, and I'm helping women rediscover a migraine-free life. Today, I'm talking to Mary, who runs our awesome Facebook community, about a common question that people ask in the Facebook group, should I get Botox for my migraines? Welcome, Mary. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm good. ready to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, how common do you think this question is? Um, several times a week, probably in one variation or another, like Mm -hmm. either should I get Botox or I just got Botox? What do I do about the side effects? Or I just got Botox. How long does it take till it works? Like there's some version of a Botox conversation several times a week, usually. Uh (laughs) And that's why I know I was teasing you before we got on, but I was like, oh, you ready to go hit some hot buttons? <laughs> I know, right? Here, here's a big one. Yeah, here's a big people, one. People love, when Botox works, people love their Botox. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about what's going on here with Botox. Okay. So Botox injections, okay? So I think most people are familiar with Botox injections, This is used to paralyze the muscles, say, in the face so that we don't have as many wrinkles, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was used uh, first for cosmetic treatment. Mary, you and I are old enough to remember when this first came out. Um, it's funny when you watch old movies. <laughs> Sorry, Mary, am I am I is that are you uncomfortable with me outing you as a fellow Gen Xer? Is no, that okay? no, no, no. I thought you were gonna say you and I are old enough to know that we need it. So like I was like <laughs> I was like thinking you were going somewhere else with that. And I was like, Yep, sure enough, Leslie. There I never ever thought there would be a day that I would be tempted by the Botox gods, but I am there now. <laughs> You're getting there, huh? <laughs> yes. Like I, the, I've got the 11 marks and the ones uh-huh. I'm rows, and I'm like, okay, hey, just sign me up. But you know, 10 years ago, I would have been like, nah, I, I'm okay to grow old gracefully. <laughs> right, right. Easy to say when you're in your 30s, right? <laughs> yes, yes. So right. Anyway, so you went a completely different direction on me. <laughs> No, but you know, I was watching, this was a couple months ago. I was watching like a movie from like the eighties before every, you know, Hollywood actor gets Botox and, you know, people really look different. (laughs) It is kind of strange because like, honestly, you look at, you know, glamour pictures of celebrities in their fifties and sixties now and they look as young as the 30-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And I have sat around one day and just been like, something is really strange that people are getting younger and younger. And I think <laughs> it just doesn't occur to you why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. How is it that people like Nicole Kidman or, you know, Sandra Bullock or whoever look exactly the way they did 30 years ago? Right. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Botox so- and fillers. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I love them all. Don't get me wrong, but it's just kind of been a little bit of a shock to my eyeballs going, I, you know, Ooh, did you ever see the meme where they had the, the golden girls next to some other younger celebrities? And it yes. was like, uh-huh. these people are the same age. Uh-huh. And you're like, what? Yep. <laughs> like unreal. So yeah, we can definitely thanks, thank Botox, right, for this. It was originally used to paralyze the muscles in the face so that you can't, right, if you can't squeeze your eyebrows together, you're not going to get those little 11 marks, right, mm-hmm. on your forehead there, right? So what happened then is that when migraine sufferers would go in and get Botox for cosmetic reasons, they reported that their migraines got a little bit better. And so, you know, pharmaceutical industry, they're not going to miss out on, a, on an opportunity to uh, repurpose this. Okay. And so that's uh, what they have done. Now, I, I've never had uh, Botox done for my migraines, but listening to my clients who have had it done, it is a significant number of injections. Okay. Yeah. Um, if somebody goes in for cosmetic Botox, I've actually had cosmetic Botox done twice, haven't had it for many, several years, probably, I don't know, four years now. 
was the last mm. time I had it, but I've had it done cosmetically twice and it doesn't require a lot for, for a cosmetic application, but for migraines, it's uh, something around 35 injections. Oh it's quite a, quite a number of injections. Um, and they're quite painful. Okay. So yeah. they're, they're notorious for being painful and they're certainly painful when people get it for cosmetic reasons too, but um, you know, 35 for, uh, injections, Ooh. painful injections, um, with tiny needles. You know, there oh. are a lot of people that have a fear of needles. Okay. And so Ooh. this can be a real barrier for people, even considering getting Botox for their migraines, uh, because of the number oh. of painful injections. And then, uh, if they have a fear of needles. Well, and I just think that whole thing goes to speak towards how we've talked about how people will do anything to get out of pain. Anything. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we are not here to judge. We're just acknowledging that it is, you know, a, a drastic measure to overcome a horrible situation. Exactly. Sure. Exactly. So Botox, right? It's a sort of an abbreviation for botulinum toxin. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that is a toxin that the Clostridium bacteria produces to create a botulism, right? What we call botulism, right? So you associate people getting botulism from spoiled food, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, mayonnaise that was sitting out for eight hours in the hot sun, right? This clostridium right. bacteria, one of its sort of metabolic waste materials is this botul botulinum toxin, okay? So when we eat that toxin, the, the toxic effect paralyzes the paralyzes our muscles. That's the effect of that toxin on humans. Mm -hmm. So if people get botulism from spoiled food, they become paralyzed. Okay. And so this can be a real problem if, if your diaphragm becomes paralyzed and you're not going to be able to take a breath. Okay. And mm -hmm. you would suffocate. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, there are uh, several bacterial toxins that cause paralysis. Okay. And so this, this is a real uh, problem, like, like the tetanus bacteria, right? Mm -hmm. Produces a toxin that paralyzes uh, muscles. So when they inject it, right, they take that little botulinum toxin, they prepare it, put it in a syringe and inject it into your muscle. It paralyzes the muscle. I'm over here wondering who on... This is probably my question about all science in general. Like who was sitting on the toilet one day and thought, I bet you it would be a good idea to inject toxins into people's faces. Why? Well, again, people will do anything to get out of pain and they'll do anything to look younger. Okay. Notice though, I, I like, that's where people get their brilliant ideas is probably when they're in the bathroom <laughs> or the shower. But right? yeah. Who thought that was going to be a good plan? I just don't get it. Anyway, continue. <laughs> so when you inject it in those muscles, right, you're, you're paralyzing those muscles and you can't move your face and make those, make those lines on your face, right? Mm -hmm. So with migraines, they're doing a lot of injections in the head and in the neck, okay? And mm -hmm. so that's causing a paralysis in the muscles in the head and the neck. And it's a subtle effect, okay? It's not like people can't move their face at all. It's a, it's a subtle effect, but it prevents the muscles from contracting as much as they normally would. Mm -hmm. So why does this help migraines? Okay, mm -hmm. so they actually don't know exactly why this helps people's migraines. Hmm. And this is true, actually, for most pharmaceuticals. They actually do not know why they have the effect that they have on the body. Mm -hmm. So one of the most shocking moments of my life was in naturopathic medical school. So the first two years of the curriculum, you learn everything about how the body works. And uh, so the curriculum is what they call in medicine, the basic sciences. So embryology, how is the embryo formed? Uh, physiology, biochemistry, anatomy, microbiology, histology, all of these uh, topics that are called the basic sciences in medicine. Mm -hmm. So the first two years of the curriculum, uh, we learned how 
you know, how everything works. And then we learn pathology, kind of how everything breaks down. And so uh, the third year is when we started pharmacology, started studying all of the medications. So again, in the naturopathic medical curriculum, we have to learn all of the same medical sciences, all of the same pharmacology. We have to learn all of this, all of the conventional lab work and imaging, uh, radiology, all, all these things. We have, to, we have to learn all of those same topics. So I remember going into my third year, my first of three pharmacology courses. I was so excited. I was like, all right, I learned, you know, how everything works and how everything breaks down. Now I'm going to learn how all these drugs work because mm. I knew the biochemistry and all this stuff. And I was going to learn how the drugs, you know, did what they, what they did. And in the pharmacology textbook, I have it here on my shelf, the standard uh, pharmacology textbook, like in the introduction, they stated, <laughs> we, we really don't know how most of these things work. What, what they do is they, they observe the effect on the symptoms that the drug has, but they really don't know for most medicines. They do not actually understand how they are manipulating the biochemistry at the you know, at the molecular or the cellular level. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Botox is no exception to that. Right. And I, I, I'm telling you, Mary, I could not believe this when, mm -hmm. when this hit me, because I assumed that the drugs that people were taking, mm -hmm. I assumed that they knew what they were doing in the body. Mm -hmm. That was a false assumption. Right. Okay. I mean, I think so, most of us assume that, scientists know on that level what they're doing correct not just correct. scientists that they understand things on a biochemistry level and all of that yeah correct correct so mm -hmm. botox is one of these uh treatments where they observe an effect but they don't know exactly why the effect is being generated okay mm -hmm. so there's two likely reasons and it might be a factor of, might be a combination of both of these reasons mm -hmm. But first reason is most migraine sufferers have muscle tension in the mm -hmm. neck, in the head, in the shoulders. They can feel that. Mm -hmm. um, and many chronic migraine sufferers will report, you know, if I'm kind of at my desk at the computer for too long and if I have poor posture and I'm holding my neck in a certain way or holding my head in a certain way, that can give me a migraine. That can lead to a migraine. Mm -hmm. So... If you paralyze those muscles and therefore have less tension, hmm. is that going to have a positive effect for some people? Okay. Mm -hmm. It's a reasonable hypothesis. Okay. Right. So that might be one reason why Botox is helpful for people. So if people are evaluating whether or not they want to do Botox, I think a critical question would be, how much muscle tension do I experience in my head and neck? Mm -hmm. Okay. If the answer is little to none, I would really question whether or not you would want to consider this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so that might be one reason why it helps migraine sufferers. Uh, the second hypothesized reason is that the botulinum toxin prevents in some way the pain signals through the nerves. Okay. Ooh. This is sort of the standard hypothesis as to why it might work. This I'm, I'm less enamored by this hypothesis. Okay. <laughs> because you have a real risk with Botox and it's mm -hmm. a risk that is in the fine print. Whenever you go in for cosmetic Botox, it's in the fine print when you go in for Botox for migraines, but it's something that's not really discussed very much at all. But there's a risk when they put that needle in, they can inject that botulinum toxin into your nerve by mistake. Mm. And when that happens, that toxin can travel up the nerve and it could go into the spinal cord, could potentially mm. go into the brain. And so there is a very rare, very rare side effect of Botox usage where people have symptoms th that are neurodegenerative symptoms mm. because the 
the botulinum toxin is harming the nerves and as it moves up uh, to through the spinal cord and into the brain, the nervous system itself. Mm-hmm. So if you had an effect on actually blocking nerve transmission, uh, I don't know, we're getting into kind of dangerous territory here. Yeah. So this is, like I say, this is, uh, if you go on, you know, um, WebMD, Mayo Clinic, they're going to talk about this hypothesis as to why Botox works. But I'm a, I, I think it probably has more to do with the fact that you're paralyzing the muscles in the head and the neck and you can't, um, you can't generate as much muscle tension, which for some people can um, exacerbate their migraines. Okay? Mm-hmm. But so we really don't know why this helps people. Okay. Yeah. So um, f- f- some people, they do notice an effect with Botox. Okay. I've had other clients where they did it and it really had no noticeable effect. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I'm not an expert on Botox. I help people discontinue their Botox. But to me, if somebody were considering Botox, I would be much more, uh, not, not that I recommend Botox, but I would be much more, uh, I, w- I would feel more confident that they would get relief if they are someone who has a lot of head and neck tension. Mm-hmm. as part of their migraines. And if somebody doesn't, then I would really, you know, I, I would really doubt that they would get any uh, improvement from it. Okay. Okay. Um, to qualify for Botox, you have to have a chronic migraine diagnosis, which is 15 or more migraine days per month. So you really have to be in that true chronic migraine state. Mm-hmm. And then usually for insurance purposes, your insurance is not going to cover it unless you have failed other, you know, much less expensive treatments. Mm-hmm. So this is failing, you know, tryptin medication, failing things like Topamax, you know, pretty strong meds have to either fail you or become ineffective before insurance companies are going to consider paying for Botox. Mm-hmm. Um, out of pocket, this is going to run you in the thousands of dollars and it's done quarterly. Right. So um, a typical, you know, um, cost of Botox once a quarter is three to $4,000. Mm. So it's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, that's quite a bit in a year. And then you got to go in every three months and got to get all these injections. So uh, usually people are not going to even consider this unless their insurance is going to pay for it. Um, Mm. And like I say, most insurance companies, they're not going to approve this unless you fail cheaper uh, therapies. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes people have insurance coverage where they just pay a copay every quarter and insurance picks up the rest of the three, $4,000. And I've had other clients where, you know, they have a $9,000 deductible. And so they're going to pay out of pocket for the first, you know, two and a half Botox treatments per mm-hmm. year. I, I mean, I'm just going to say I would rather spend my money on something else, but, you know, yeah, for and, sure. And we don't, we're not here to judge what people are, you know, willing to do for getting out of pain. We get it. Yeah. Now, what are the downsides to Botox? Okay, Mm -hmm. so first of all, we are injecting a toxin into our muscles. So if you have been following the podcast, if you've listened to any of the free training that I have, injecting a toxin into the body is going to be counter to restoring our health. Mm Mm-hmm. Because one of the principles of restoring our health is what I call the second principle, this clearing metabolic waste material and toxins from the body. So Mm -hmm. if we are injecting botulinum toxin into our muscles, the body is going to have to work hard to get that out. Mm -hmm. And it takes about three months for the body to clear this. And this is when it starts wearing off. Mm -hmm. And then you got to go back in and then you're going to do it all over again. So when you have chronic migraines, if you're having 15 or more migraine days a month, 
you already have an overload of metabolic waste material. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to inject more in. So this is probably a dumb question, but like we're saying it is bad for our bodies to keep adding toxins, but at the same time, Botox is limiting how many migraines you're getting. So it's, it's like one thing we're saying is it's bad for you, but it's showing that it's quote unquote good for you. Like, how do you explain that contradiction? Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, what Botox is doing is mm -hmm. suppressing the migraines, mm -hmm. right? When the body clears that toxin and it, and we experience that as wearing off. Oh, oh yeah. Next week I got my Botox appointment is wearing mm -hmm. off, right? Mm -hmm. Right. We don't have a Botox deficiency, right? We don't have migraines because we have a Botox deficiency. So the Botox is suppressing the body's ability to generate the migraine. It is not correcting the underlying issues that are generating mm -hmm. the migraine. Yeah. So um, there's a difference between my migraines are better from the standpoint of I'm having less per month. Mm -hmm. I'm suffering less. I'm suffering less and my body is generating less migraines. Mm -hmm. Right. If we don't get the Botox, the, you know, if we, if we don't get that Botox after the toxin gets cleared from the muscles, then I'm right back where I started or mm -hmm. even worse. Or worse. When I know I see in the group quite often, not just Botox, but with several different meds, all of a sudden your insurance changes and then you're back to square one because you can no longer get your treatment mm -hmm. and you haven't done anything to actually address why you're getting migraines in the first place. Right. Right. And unfortunately you further undermined your state of health because you've been injecting all these toxins into the body. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is, it's an important distinction, right? Because again, when, when somebody is at the point where they're having 15 or more migraine days a month, like mm -hmm. you say, they're going to do anything to get out of pain. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, the I problem is in that state of desperation, right? When people are desperate, whether it's migraines or some other desperate situation that they're in in their life, right? When we are desperate, mm -hmm. we can make decisions that in the long term are not going to be beneficial for us. Right. Uh, you know, that that's an issue with with Botox as a treatment. Um, the other issue that, again, is not discussed. So if I'm paralyzing the muscles of my neck. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen to those muscles over the long term? The right. muscles in my neck need to contract and they need to be strong enough to hold my head up. Mm hmm. If I'm paralyzing them and preventing them from contracting, which again, muscles get stronger by contracting, mm -hmm. by moving, right? Somebody's, somebody has, uh, you know, somebody's in a coma for six months and they're just laying in a hospital bed. They can't just get up and walk, right? Their muscles mm -hmm. have atrophied. Mm -hmm. So when we inject Botox into the neck, we are paralyzing the neck muscles. We are preventing them from their full range of movement or contraction. And over time, they will atrophy. Mm -hmm. People who use Botox for several years are eventually told, we can't do this anymore because your neck muscles are going to atrophy if we keep doing this. Oh my gosh. This is not told to people when they start out. But think about it. Our neck has to be strong enough to hold our head up. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is a bad idea yeah. in the long term. It is not a long term solution. I actually know a gentleman that had cancer in his neck and his muscles were no longer able to hold his neck up. And I mean, he's the most incredible, gentle, kind soul. And so I don't want to make that sound bad, but like, that's just not a life you want. <laughs> That's a struggle that, you know, people don't want to have in yeah. the long run. Yeah. yeah. And how many women in their 30s are getting Botox for their migraines? Right. You got a long life ahead of you. 
do we really like have, I mean, Botox is still relatively new. Do we really have long-term, you know, 50, 60, 70 year studies on what happens in the long run to our bodies? We sure don't. We sure don't. Mm-hmm. And I think the amount of Botox that is given as a migraine treatment is significantly higher than what is given to typical, you know, cosmetic application, right? Mm -hmm. The two times I've gone in for a little Botox, it was, you know, tink, tink. I mean, it was just a a couple little pricks of the needle. It was not, you know, 35. Right. Right. And frankly, unfortunately, there's uh, a member of my community, uh, very tragically, uh, used cosmetic Botox and is now suffering from this neurodegenerative disorder that I described that is in the very, very fine print of the Mm -hmm. consent paperwork that you sign when you get Botox. Hmm. So, well, and, and the symptoms are sort of like a uh, ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease with this progressive neurodegeneration, progressive muscle wasting, progressive I mean, brain to call it brain fog doesn't even do it justice. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a very, very debilitating and tragic condition. And so, um, you know, when this, like I say, when this tragic case became known to me, <laughs> I have not, uh, I have not scheduled any other cosmetic Botox. <laughs> I know. I feel like you've really cured me of any temptation I've ever had for it. Like, yeah. So again, it's a, it's a low risk, but again, here's something right where, okay, yeah, you know, I I got a little line too between my eyebrows now. Eh, Do I really want to have a neuro, you know, do I, do I really want to risk getting a neurodegenerative disease from this? Or maybe I just put a little stronger, uh, a little stronger night cream there. (laughs) I I was going to say, I'm not sure night cream, night cream might be past that point, but whatever. Yeah. I'm just going to have to grow old gracefully, (laughs) quote unquote, gracefully. (laughs) So, you know, somebody getting this, like I say, for migraines and all of the injections that are required every three months, you know, uh, unfortunately, you're going to be at a much higher risk of, by mistake, them injecting that botulinum toxin into the nerve of the muscle right? They're not trying to do that. They're trying to be very careful because they know they don't want to get this in the nerve. They know they want to get it in the muscle, but you know, there's no way of knowing whether you've got it in the nerve or the muscle. Right. Right. Oh, scary. So, um, that, uh, I think that kind of covers what, what my concerns are around, around Botox. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked with many clients over the years that when we start working together, they are taking Botox, you know, they're getting Botox treatments. And I have to say that this is one of the easiest treatments for people to discontinue. Oh. Um, you know, the, it is done every three months. Um, the body is naturally clearing this botulinum toxin out of the muscles. The body is going to get on that immediately and start clearing that out, getting it out of the body, um, over, over time. And so, uh, what I see over and over again is that when, uh, when people start feeling better, they say, well, yeah, you know what? I got this Botox appointment, uh, coming up in two weeks, but you know, by now, two weeks before my appointment, I would be, I would be feeling my headaches and migraines by this point, but Mm -hmm. I'm feeling fine. You know, I'm not feeling it. Right. Mm -hmm. Again, when we restore our health and our body is not generating the migraines and the headaches, then instead of, oh no, I'm going to be in agony a week or two before my three month Botox appointment, we feel good. We feel fine. We don't feel any, you know, we're, we're smooth sailing. Right. So that's an indication. Okay. Yeah. If I don't go get it now, I'm probably going to be just fine. Mm-hmm. And that's what usually happens. So well, kind of you have that time between appointments to work on getting the body in a state of health so that when that two week period is coming, people see that difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And that gives, that's what we're looking for. Right. Because again, 
when we are restoring the health, we are going to experience improvements in our symptoms. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's much easier to discontinue a preventative medication or treatment like Botox when we're feeling better. Right. Right. Many people have said, you know what, I really hate going in for these 35 injections. You know what? I got the appointment next week. Let me just see if I can make it through. Let me see what happens. Well, they, they didn't do anything to restore their health. And so their migraines get bad again. Right. The difference is when you restore your health and you're feeling better, then it's obvious that, oh, yeah, OK, I got my appointment coming up. I'm really considering maybe I don't want to do this. Yeah. anymore. Right. And we yeah, have that confidence going yeah. in because we're actually feeling better. I was going to say a little bit of um, hope there that exactly. maybe we don't need it. Yeah, exactly. Well, let, me, let me ask you, um, just because this pops up so frequently in the group, what are the different other than, you know, the risk of paralysis, but like other than that, what are the common side effects people have from Botox? Well, many of my clients will talk about how they get a headache or they will get a migraine after the treatment. Mm -hmm. I've seen that a lot. Um, And that could be uh, due to several factors, I think. One, for most people, they're going to feel pretty mentally and emotionally stressed out going Mm -hmm. in and getting 35 painful injections. Mm-hmm. And so, um, again, a lot of people, if they are under mental or emotional stress, highly likely they're going to get a migraine. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that can be a factor for people. The other thing is you are injecting a toxin into your body. Right. This is counter to what is health supporting. And mm-hmm. so when you have a big influx of toxins into the body, whether it be botulinum toxin, whether it be, say, uh, alcohol, alcohol is a toxin, right? You have a big influx of toxins into the body you're, and you're prone to migraines. It's a great way to get a migraine. Yeah. So I think those are the two most likely reasons why this uh, post-Botox headache or migraine occurs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I hear that reported pretty commonly that mm-hmm. for a day or two after the Botox treatment, they're not going to feel too good. Right. I've seen a lot of comments about how, you know, numbness, like complete numbness on one side of their face or, you know, those well, kind of things. Yeah. yeah. You know, this, this can happen with cosmetic Botox. Right. You, you know, people go in for cosmetic Botox. And again, if if too much is put in the muscle and the muscle is is over paralyzed, right? people can have their eyelid droop or, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Right. So uh, the skill right again, you get cosmetic Botox. You don't want to go to the fly by night med spa. You want to go to the top, <laughs> top people. Right. Because right. the skill of the practitioner there with the needle Right there, their skill is going to play a tremendous role. If they're in a dark alley and they have all hours of the night, beware. No. <laughs> like, be careful out there, ladies. Exactly. As far as comparing apples and oranges go, um, I see a lot of questions from people like, "How long till my Botox will you know kick in?" Meaning, how long till I stop getting migraines? Um versus how long it takes to work with you and restore your health. What what's the difference there? Like, does it take 10 appointments before I stop getting migraines with Botox versus 10 appointments with Leslie? Like how do what's the contrast there? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah. So um Botox for migraines, I gosh, I can't think of a client well, and there is some, there is going to be some bias in this because the people who reach out to me are the people who, you know, the, the treatments and the medications aren't working. You know, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's a typical client that I have. Not that you have to wait that long <laughs> to work with me, but usually those are the people that reach out to me, you know? Um, so with my client base, I, I would have to say that with the clients that I work with, the Botox is no, you know, miracle treatment. It mm-hmm. might take them down from 20 migraines a month to 10. Mm-hmm. Okay. So 
okay, well, that cut him in half. Okay, well, great. Well, I'm still, uh, you know, 10 days a month, a third of my life, I'm still having a migraine. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's not that people aren't happy that they went down from 20 to 10, but I mean, 10 is not great. (laughs) 10 is pretty bad. Significantly hampering their ability to life, to do life. (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say that in my experience, it's some sort of miracle treatment. But again, the people that are going in for Botox and they never have another migraine, you know, for a year after they get that every quarter, they're not, they're probably not going to reach out to me unless, you know, unless this really connects with them that, you know, look, I don't want to be taking this Botox. I don't want to be injecting this toxin into my muscles. I want to get to the root cause, you know? Um, But most people, if, if the drugs are working, they're not going to reach out to me. So it's a little skewed, you know, from that perspective. Um, but I wouldn't say that it's any panacea. I mean, even looking here on webmd.com, you know, uh, does Botox work for migraine headaches? So, you know, in, in two studies, the headache days were cut in half, right? So, Mm -hmm. and that was, you know, half of the people in the study who did two rounds. So that would be six months reported that their migraine days cut in half. So half of the people had half of a reduction. (laughs) Got it. Right. So, um, it's not a, it's, it's no panacea for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It takes the edge off a little bit, I would say. Yeah. And I think the risks associated with that, as we've talked about, you know, uh, you know, uh, you can say it's a low risk, but, you know, statistics mean nothing when it happens to you. This is the problem. For sure. <laughs> yeah. But like I say, the, th- the thing that I find, this is something that's very easy for people to to discontinue um, once they start feeling better and that appointment comes up on the calendar. Very frequently, people will be reluctant to out and out cancel that Botox appointment, but they'll say, you know what, I'm going to call my neurologist and I'm going to move it out a month. Mm, There you go. Right. Um, And, and I think that's a great strategy. Whenever Mm -hmm. somebody is coming off of a preventative treatment, whether it be Botox, Mm -hmm. Topamax, birth control, you know, any of these myriad preventative treatments, you have to have a level of confidence Mm -hmm. to come off of those preventative medications. Otherwise people have tremendous anxiety. Well, I'm still suffering with the Topamax, but I hate to go off of it. What if it's doing some small thing that I'm not realizing and then I'm worse, Mm. right? By the time people are in a chronic migraine state on preventative treatments like Botox, they're terrified of doing something that's going to put, put them backwards. Yeah. Yeah. One, honestly, I don't blame them. No, I don't blame them at all. Yeah. And the whole anxiety thing. We've talked about that in the group lots that of course you have anxiety and some depression because this is not how a normal life is supposed to look. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. It's normal to have anxiety if you can wake up in the morning and feel fine. And by 4 p.m. struck down vomiting Mm -hmm. on the side of a road trying Mm -hmm. to get home from work. That's my story. Right. Of course, Mm -hmm. you're going to have anxiety if that's if that's something that could happen to you. You're going to have a post-traumatic response to to that. That's very common with migraines. So when people are, you know, when when I'm working with people who are using Botox, you know, well, they'll say, well, you know, I just got Botox, um, you know, two months ago in a month. um, I have my next appointment for it. You know, should I cancel that? I, I never tell people to cancel things like that. Sometimes people are feeling well enough in a month where they feel like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to cancel that Botox or I'm going to push it out another month. Sometimes people are not feeling well enough after a month of working with me. And they say, yeah, you know what? I I just, I'm afraid not to get the Botox because I'm Mm. feeling a little bit better, but I don't want to get worse without this Botox. Fine. Get the, get the Botox. Mm -hmm. It doesn't interfere with what I'm working on with people. Uh, we're already, if I'm working with people, we're already working on clean, clearing toxins from the body. Yes, you're going to inject more, but that's okay. Mm. You will still get better. And then when people are ready, uh, they can, 
you know, cancel that appointment or push it back. A lot of times people will say, you know, it took me so much to get that improved by my insurance. I don't want to cancel it all right, but let me just move it back a month. Let me move it back a month. I've had many clients. They'll just keep, (laughs) keep rescheduling it and pushing it back out until they finally feel confident. Yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm steady now. I really don't need this. And then they'll kind of take that final step and finally cancel it. You kind of highlighted something that I think is important to just touch on is like, I think sometimes when I go into the doctor, I'm hesitant to take the first steps of meeting with someone new because you're almost afraid that they're going to demand you do their things their way. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, if I want to still get Botox, they're going to be like, well, then I can't treat you or whatever. And to me, it sounds like just based on our conversations that you do take those things into consideration and the person still has a lot of say in what your treatment looks like and that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. This is a real cornerstone of how I work because most of my clients are taking medication. Many of them are taking quite a bit of preventative medication, you know, Mm -hmm. Propranolol, Topamax, birth control, and Botox, you know, a, a lot of preventative medication. And so there are a lot of practitioners that say, come back when you're off of all of your meds. Mm-hmm. So how do you get off of the meds without restoring your health first? Without the support. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So this was really important to me when uh, it's been actually five years now that I completely changed my practice, dedicated my practice entirely to working with women with migraine headaches. It was really important to me to be able to figure out a way to help people who are on serious medication. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when you are on Topamax and, and birth control and Botox as preventatives, you're going to go through excruciating agony if you are going to go off those medications first and then work on restoring your health. Right. I don't I wouldn't be able to do that. Right. It's not a matter of willpower, toughing it out. It's it's not going to be possible for people. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. a bar that I, I can't even imagine somebody being able to go over. Right. But a lot of practitioners say this. You got to get off all meds and then I can help you. Well, okay. In order to get off these meds, I got to feel better. Right. Well, and most of our people have to work and they have children and they have families and they have, like, you can't just lay in your bed for six months while you get off meds and then go and get help. Like, right, right. And, you know, many of my clients are already laying in bed on four preventatives and taking Nurtec and Imitrex mm-hmm. a couple times a week. They're already in bed. Right. Right. So you can't just, you know, cold turkey somebody off of, off of these meds. It's, it's too much. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's inhumane. It's inhumane. Yeah. So this was a real, real top priority for me under, first of all, um, prior to me, making this, this, you know, big change in my practice and so on. Prior to this, I was working with people who were on serious medications. I was working in an inpatient naturopathic clinic and working with patients who were on serious, serious medications, Mm -hmm. Um, things like Seroquel and Gabapentin and Topamax and things like that. So I already had significant experience working with people on heavy meds. Mm-hmm. And a lot of natural practitioners, they just don't have that type of experience. I'll be honest, because mm-hmm. most natural practitioners are working with people who are coming to them because they don't want to get on the medications in the first place. And so they're mm-hmm. kind of going to the chiropractor before they get on the meds. They're going to the acupuncturist before they get on the meds. They're going to the naturopathic doctor before they're on the meds. Mm-hmm. That's not my typical client. I will have those cases for sure. And I'm happy to help those people. But my typical client is already on heavy duty medication. Mm -hmm. And my experience with that medication previously, I know you, you know, you're not going to 
be able to come off of those unless you are restoring your health and you're starting to feel better. You're not going to be able to to do it. It'd be inhumane to think otherwise. So this is what, this was kind of my going in five years ago. And a lot of people thought I was crazy. They did not think it could be done. They, I was told by many colleagues, yeah, yeah, you're not, you know, if somebody comes to you on Topamax, you're not going to be able to help them. They got to go. They got to come off that first. It's not true. Mm. It's not true. Interesting. Don't you love proving people wrong? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. But I, I mean, just really quick, I just want to like reiterate just how much autonomy and respect and, um, you know, how much consideration you're giving for the people that you're working with as well. Because I think a lot of times doctors, we just go in and it's like doctoring happens to us. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like here, let me throw you some meds and it's not about what I feel as a human. It's just, here's what I can do for you. Now go on your way. But, right. you know, you're working with people in a way that's like, they're your partner in this whole thing. Well, they're the one doing the healing. Mm-hmm. Is, right. I'm not, I'm not healing anybody. Yeah. You're just it's our of- body that does the right. healing for us. Yeah. Right. And nobody heals me but me. I don't mm. heal anybody else and nobody else heals me. That's not how this works. Mm-hmm. We are the healer. And so we can't be doing something that is counter to what is possible for us, that resonates with us, that's that's doable. Right. You know, Mary, you've got four boys, right? <laughs> you know, the, the if I'm working with a woman who has four boys, it's going to be uh, what is going to be possible for her, doable for her, resonate mm. with her is going to be different than I'm working with a 65 year old woman. You know, re- her and her husband are retired. It's the two of them empty nest. It's a totally different ball game, totally different it environment. It really is. <laughs> Yeah, different struggles. I mean, in reality, like they're, they're both hard situations in their own way. Right. 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 You know, um, people have different religious or spiritual uh, beliefs or practices that they're coming from. Um, I wouldn't, you know, we're not going to heal ourselves if we are going to go against a core value that we have. That's going to be counterproductive. Like, we're not here to tell you, you no longer can be Christian. Now you have to be a Buddhist because that's not going to help them in the long run. Right. Or vice right. versa. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's that, that's uh, some people really resonate with doing meditation. Mm-hmm. For some people that goes against their religious practices. That just oh, goes against my attention span. <laughs> okay, goes against yeah, exactly. For some people, right? They're having symptoms. They're having symptoms around attention, and meditation is going to be something that's going to set them up for failure. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? So th- these are absolutely the things that I am taking into account with all of my clients. What is going to set this woman up for success? Mm-hmm. And. That's going to be different for everybody, depending on all of these different situations that they're in, depending on the severity of their symptoms and and the the whole bit. Mm -hmm. Um, These three principles that I talk about that are required to restore our health, those are universal principles that apply to everybody. But how we implement those three principles, it's it's a totally unique journey and path for people. Mm -hmm. And what, what I like to do for myself or what I find easy can be unbelievably difficult for some people. Yeah. And I have clients, you know, they, they do things on their healing journey. And I, and I say to myself, man, I would never be able to do that. Right. Right. You just talking about the, the women who was that last podcast that we talked about how some women tough it out and run marathons. I'm like, I can't even do that on my best health days. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) These women are gladiators or something. (laughs) Right, right. You know, some people really like to uh, exercise. Mm -hmm. Other people really, you know, it's really not their thing. So I'm not going to tell somebody that doesn't really enjoy exercise. Oh, yeah, we need to get you exercising, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Right. There's other ways to get the benefits of the movement that exercise brings uh, other than having people do an activity that they don't enjoy. It took me 40 something years to realize that 
I'm a much happier exerciser if I'm not running, but I am dancing. Mm, yeah. So why, mm-hmm. You know, why does that matter? I don't have to be a marathoner to get exercise. I can be, some women really love to walk. That to me feels like the most unproductive uh-huh. time. Like I am right. going nowhere and doing nothing. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be a one size fits all um, type of thing. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Most practitioners, they tell their patients or clients to do what works for them. Mm. This is a really, really big problem in the natural medicine space. Mm -hmm. Because most practitioners in the natural medicine space, they've gotten into the natural medicine world because of their own healing journey or experience. Mm -hmm. So they know what works for them. Mm -hmm. And then they tell everybody else to do that same thing. Well, it's a real big problem. It's a real big problem. So you have somebody, you know, like say somebody starts eating a vegan diet and they feel better and then they go out and everybody they work with, they tell to eat a vegan diet. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for myself and, and, you know, we humans, we're going to have a tendency to do this. Okay. The human psychology, this is, it's going to kind of pull us to do this. Well, mm-hmm. work for me. Let's have you do it. Okay. Right. This is why people give us advice, right? Of course. <laughs> So, but for myself, I'm always, I'm, I'm always on guard with this psychology within myself and I Mm -hmm. test everything on myself. Mm -hmm. So I'm constantly testing things. Whenever there's a new fad diet, I give it a go. Um, I test new combinations of herbal medicines or, you know, whatever it is. I test out so much stuff on myself. Mm-hmm. So that I can experience the differences between these different things. I can get some glimmer into what some of the risks are. Um, but then I'm always, too, you know, testing things out on clients. You know, I just don't do the same thing every time. I'm always mm-hmm. integrating new things. I'm always, you know, got these little research projects that I'm on, you know, different little th- things that I'm uh, doing and then integrating that, you know, might test something on myself and then I might have one client that I think might respond well, have that, give it a go. No, let's try a second one. Like I'm always testing things and Mm -hmm. collecting that data, observing what happens and collecting that data. And again, because I'm not just, oh, well, you know, this is, I go to bed at 10 PM. So let's have everybody go to to (laughs) to bed at 10 PM because that's how, that's when I feel the best myself because I don't do that. I have so much experience of, Okay, what happens if somebody goes to bed at 11, midnight, if they go to bed too early, right? Because I'm not dictating everything to, to everybody else. I'm collecting what the body is telling us and, and making adjustments and so on. I, I have a much larger data set that I've accumulated over the years because I'm not just handing people a handout. Okay, go do this. Yes, exactly. Right? You know, just the other day, I was working with a woman where, you know, she was kind of at a crossroads where she could either start to, you know, her sleep has improved quite a bit. And so we were at a little crossroads. Does she want to go to bed a little bit earlier or does she want to sleep in a little bit later and go to bed a little later, right? Her sleep quality had improved to the point where she was sleeping, you know, good eight hours through the night. And now we could, we could tweak the timing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had her make that decision. Do you want to go to bed a little earlier? And her husband goes to bed a little bit earlier. So there's kind of a decision. Do you want to go, go to bed with your husband and wake up a little bit earlier, more along the time when he wakes up, or do you want to, um, stay up a little later and sleep in a little bit later in the morning, but then you wouldn't be going to sleep at the same time your husband is Mm -hmm. either way I felt would be health supporting for her. Mm. So it was up to her what she wanted to do. That's awesome. I mean, simple, but I just love that it goes to how individualized you really are as far as a practitioner. Right. Other people were getting signals from the body. Yeah, you know what? You going to bed a little bit later and waking up later. I don't think that's going to be health supporting for you. So I'm really going to recommend we, we carefully move the sleep schedule a little bit here to be more health supporting for you. Right. So 
again, I don't have this like, okay, everybody goes to bed at 10 and wakes up at six. Okay. What is going to be health supporting for this particular person? Mm -hmm. Um, I have clients that work third shift, second or third shift. Well, they can't go to bed at 10. They're working, right? Right? They've got to sleep later than six. They were up until, you know, two in the morning. They can't get up at six. They're going to have to sleep longer. So there are, you know, some realities of people's work schedule or, or other things that have to be taken into consideration. Yeah, that's, I think that's how all medicine or, you know, treatment should be. Like, I don't know. I think eventually society is going to burn out on one size fits all medicine. I really do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what I think people are also really burning out on is using these drugs to suppress their symptoms. Mm-hmm. People are really waking up to the fact that they don't have a Topamax deficiency. Mm. They don't have a botulinum deficiency. They don't have an Imitrex deficiency. Right. Well, and I think there's been, especially since COVID, and I don't want to get into super controversial things right now, but like, especially since that and the whole vaccination controversy and all of that, I think people are waking up to the fact that uh, pharmaceutical companies don't necessarily have my best interest at heart as an individual. Correct. If you look at the damage settlements, the the prosecutions for um, fraud and the damages awarded to people, you're mm-hmm. not going to find another industry that has more judgments against them, more damages levied against them, more, you know, unfortunately, you know, there's a difference between a pharmaceutical company putting a drug on the market that has unintended severe consequences for the people that take that drug. Right. But over and over again, unfortunately, what the pharmaceutical industry has been proven to have done is they have known that the drug is causing a severe consequence in the people that are taking them and they mm-hmm. bury that. This and has happened it. over and over again. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. they, they know that it's happening and they take conscious steps to bury that data. Mm-hmm. Which is and this really- is when, this is when they get hit with these, you know, multi-billion dollar judgments against them. Mm-hmm. Because again, you know, there's a difference between something Oh, you know, that's, that's an oopsie. Oh my goodness. We didn't think about that. And then there's something, you know, I, I, frankly, I think it's evil to um, have an industry that over and over and over again has cooked the books basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Very much agreed. You know, in naturopathic medicine, we take it in oath. Um, I have I have it right here, you know, in my office and the first piece of the oath of the naturopathic medicine oath that we take when we are, when we are awarded our, our diploma is mm-hmm. first do no harm. Right. And doctors take that too, right? Right. Pardon? Like medical doctors take that oath as well from what I understand, right? They do, but it's a different meaning for them mm. because right. the harm is inherent in the medication. Right. Well, my question was going to be following up with that. Like they take the oath. Obviously you have a different weight or meaning around it. You take the oath, but do our pharmaceutical companies? No, the pharmaceutical companies do not take any oath. Exactly. And that there we are with the problem, right? I mean, not just an oath is the solving of all of it, but they don't have a, you know, what's, how is this going to affect Mary? 20 years down the road, both like, no, they're not concerned with that. Right. And the medical doctor taking that oath, the mindset is more, you know, don't make a mistake. Mm -hmm. Don't improperly prescribe the medication that's Mm -hmm. going to cause harm by definition. Mm. Every medication has side effects. Every medication causes harm. Right. So in conventional medicine, when they take the oath to, you know, first do no harm, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, don't, malpractice right don't be careless right Right. for in naturopathic medicine what we mean is don't harm people 
Mm-hmm. Right. And I so agree. I don't do things that are going to harm people. Mm-hmm. And in the natural medicine world, there are plenty of therapies that can harm people. Don't right. get me wrong. And unfortunately, there are some naturopathic doctors that do those things and they kind of, uh, you know, they they don't um, live up to the oath that they've taken. But mm-hmm. I take it very seriously. Right. And first and do no harm can also apply to the way that people are just treated mentally and emotionally. Right. Right. Some people are harmed by their doctor because the doctor is, uh, you know, careless with their words or, or rude, mm-hmm. abrupt, blaming the patient. Right. That, that can cause mental and emotional harm to people. So mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not perfect. I'm not saying that I'm perfect or anything like that, but I'm very conscious of these things. We can be, we can cause harm with the therapeutics. We can cause harm with how we approach people, how we interact Mm -hmm. with people. Being dismissive, telling people it's in their head, Mm -hmm. telling people to lose weight. There's nothing wrong with them. Mm -hmm. I mean, the list can go on and on for sure. People can be mentally and emotionally abusive. To other people. This happens all the time. Yeah. Right. I was going to say too, though, but going back to do no harm, it's like we, you know, since we're talking about Botox, like we don't, again, we don't know what the long-term effects of, you know, 50 years on Botox is going to do. Right. Yeah. I think but they, their oath doesn't include that. Their oath is like, you know, don't grab the Botox needle in the aorta. Right. It's like, you know, in the carotid artery. Right. It's like please, please that, that don't type of harm. Right. They're talking about that type of harm. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. they can't uh, a medical doctor can't practice without harming the patient because mm-hmm. the treatment is a drug and drugs inherently harm us. Mm. That is something to think about a lot. I don't know, because I think our mentality around drugs is that it's there to help us. Not that they inherently harm us. That's right. a that's well, a mindset shift we've all going to make. <laughs> when and where is the harm occurring? Right. Mm-hmm. If I take something that suppresses my migraine and I feel better twenty minutes later, quote unquote, mm-hmm. I feel better. Right, twenty minutes later. But what if the harm comes up ten years down the road? Right. Right. What if, you know, uh, again, like look at, look at the typical progression when somebody starts on say Imitrex. Okay. Mm -hmm. Typical migraine sufferer, they, they can't use the -the over-the-counter stuff anymore. And so they finally make that appointment with their primary care doctor or, you know, God forbid a neurologist and they go in there and they get the Imitrex for the first time. The first time they take the Imitrex for most people, it quote unquote works within 20 minutes. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, five years later, right, they're taking Imitrex a couple times a week. Their doctor's yelling at them. You know, you can't take so many. Uh, Now they're on Topamax, Gabapentin, and birth control. And now they can't have a baby uh, because they're functionally infertile because they're on birth control for their migraines. I would say that falls under harm. Yeah. But the first 15 minutes, five years prior, boy, did that feel good. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I just think that's a lot to chew on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I might need a few days now. <laughs> that process, right? <laughs> yeah, I like. I need to recover from podcasting today. No, right. Well, when we started on this topic, you were like, "Oh, you're going to push a lot of buttons." So I guess we did. <laughs> oh, you know, I just you know remember back. Oh, I've been working in the group for several years now, but like. I think one time I used your words, there is no such thing as a botulism deficiency. And this lady went off on me and she actually private messaged me vehemently angry that I was cruel and mean. And I'm like, dude, I'm just like, I wasn't even rude about it. I was just like, girl, I'm just trying to help you here, you know, but it is such a hot topic. It's such a, we don't want you to walk away from this podcast going, oh, you know, Leslie and Mary are judging me for my use of Botox. It's so far from the truth. We're just trying to warn people of the danger. 
and how it's not going to actually help in the long run. Right. Right. And I think intuitively, everybody knows this. Everybody Mm -hmm. knows they don't have a botulinum deficiency. Right. Right. So, you know, what I'm trying to bring to light for people is to connect into what they really already know. Right. And that is, I'm, I'm having these migraines for a reason that can be figured out. And once I know, again, once people know what their blockers or deficiencies are within these three principles, and we work out a game plan that works for them to address that, the body is going to respond. Mm-hmm. Right. And intuitively, this is what we're looking for. This intuitively is what I was looking for when I went into my medical doctor, when I was getting migraines as a little whippersnapper, 25 year old, and, you know, uh, irritating her because I kept coming back and wouldn't take the drugs because intuitively I knew, right. That if I had somebody that could help me, I would feel better. So this is, this is my call to everybody listening. Tap into what you already know to be true. Mm -hmm. And if, like I say, if you think that I can help you, please reach out, please reach out. If I can't help you, I will tell you that if I can, I will tell you what that looks like. But this is my call to everybody listening. What do you already know to be true? You know, Mm -hmm. these drugs are not the answer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, people get upset when we tell them the truth sometimes. Yeah. Right. And that's okay. I have gotten upset many, many times when people have told me the truth. I think that just comes from the place of desperation and pain. And we get that. Like. I didn't take it personally that she, that lady was upset at me because I know that comes from desperation and pain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It did make me sad because I don't like being accused of purposely hurting people, but you know, yeah, but it was coming from a place in my heart of like just genuinely trying to help someone, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes, like I say, sometimes the truth angers people. That's okay. Mm-hmm. That's okay. But, yeah, we will keep speaking it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you, Mary. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me today. Yep, we'll see you guys soon. Well, wonderful. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And before you go, be sure to like this episode and subscribe to this podcast. Um, and please, if you have somebody in your life who's suffering from chronic migraines, please share this information with them. Who could benefit from this information that we talked about today? Please share that on your social media or share it with your friends and loved ones who've been praying for this information. And if you want to stay connected with Mary and I, please join our free Facebook group. We have nearly 12,000 women who are rediscovering a migraine-free life naturally. You can go to Healing Migraines Naturally with Leslie Caesar ND in the search box on Facebook. Or you can go to healingmigrainesnaturally.com and we will redirect you there. 